few weeks and months here at Limerick Baptist, we have seen various expressions of this difficulty manifesting themselves in different ways. We see our dear brother Owen struggle with a tumor behind his eye. The suffering that he is dealing with, that he needs to go for radiotherapy, the uncertainty of these things. Yet in those things, he trusts the Lord. We hear about our sister Sheila, who's had health issues over the last few months. And we lift her up in prayer. But we wonder, God, why is this happening? Even Bob has had a lot of issues with his legs in the last few weeks. I know that's not enjoyable. I know it's difficult. And we know, as Christians... We know that God has been gracious to us and has saved us through the work of Jesus Christ and continues to be gracious to us. But we ask ourselves, why is it like this? Why is life difficult? Why do we struggle? My hope this morning is that we can look at Romans 8, these verses that were read and and verse 25 as well, and answer this question to know the purpose of the suffering of the Christian and suffering even in this life as a whole is something that we can we can study our whole lives but until we move that knowledge from our heads into our hearts we will have difficulty the purpose of Christian suffering as I understand it indeed again all suffering is to highlight for us how terrible sin is. What sin does when it enters into a situation or into this world even. Sin is the source of sickness and pain. Sin is the source of grief. And when we see see sin for what it is, it also shows us how wonderful Our God is. How encouraging it is that our God intercedes for us and loves us. That He has brought us together where sin pushes us apart from one another and made a family of brothers and sisters from every tribe and tongue and nation on the earth. Sisters and brothers who deal with one another in love and attempt to live lives of holy love, of righteousness towards one another. And here, Paul continues his letter to the Romans in chapter 8 by showing us the importance of recognizing suffering, embracing suffering, and longing for what comes after. Longing for what comes after. And I thought that Edwin's children's talk this morning was so, so Helpful because it reminds us again and again, and we look all over Scripture that there is assurance, safety, peace for those who know the Lord, even in the midst of difficulty. Even in the midst of difficulty. And this all brings us to remember that this world is not our home, this world is not our ultimate destination. But our future is with God in a new heaven, in a new earth. 
So this morning I have two points for you. These two points go hand in hand. They are the purpose of patience and a hope that sustains. The purpose of patience and a hope that sustains. So for my first point, every pain we experience in this life drives us into the arms of a loving Savior, Jesus Christ, who understands our hurts and our difficulties. As Christians, we hold fast to that truth and know that Christ was patient even as he suffered for God's glory and for our salvation. Beloved, Jesus knew and knows what it is to suffer. Jesus, in his human nature, intimately experienced suffering and understood it. George Herbert, who was a Puritan poet in England, uh, wrote a beautiful poem. It's over 100 stanzas long called The Sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever heard of George Herbert before. He was a wonderful writer, a wonderful, wonderful poet. And I want to read you a few stanzas, just three of them. There's 100, so I'm not going to overburden you here. Um, <laughs> But three stanzas from his poem, The Sacrifice, to remind you, just in snapshots, of the difficulty Jesus went through during his, uh, during his crucifixion. And Herbert's poem has the same refla- refrain at the end of each stanza, which was, was ever grief like mine. So here, here's the first, here are a few, three stanzas. See, they lay hold on me, not with hands of faith, but fury. Yet at their commands I suffer binding, who have loosed their bands, was ever grief like mine. All my disciples fly. Fear puts a bar between my friends and me. They leave the star that brought the wise men of the east from far, was ever grief like mine. Some said, I the temple to the floor in three days raised, and raised as before. Why he that built the world can do so much more was ever grief like mine. Herbert's goal with this poem is to incense our emotions, to see that Jesus, as God and man, knows what it is to suffer, but also has the unique perspective of being the creator of mankind, of of womankind, of humankind, and loves them intimately. I love that line. He says, I suffer binding who have loosed their bands. Because that is what he came to do. He was bound up and taken to the slaughter. But he brought freedom from the bondage of sin. The purpose of our patience in identifying our patience with the suffering of Jesus causes us to see the surpassing glory of God in our deliverance. As I said, sin is the reason for human suffering in a local sense. That means if you hurt me or say something rude of me and I find out later or perhaps you say it to my face, that pain I feel is the result of sin. Sin against me, sure, but in a broader sense. And sin on a global scale is the source of of problems like death and toil and work and pain. But why? Why is it something we have to deal with? To help us understand why we must deal with pain, deal with suffering, 
Paul personifies creation. He gives creation emotions so that it can show us how we should feel. Paul tells us that creation suffers and decays from the effects of sin. Creation itself here is longing for renewal. Creation is longing for renewal. It is longing for the revealing of the glory of the sons of God, of the children of God. And creation longs here, has longing and is patient in suffering, as Christ was patient in suffering. And we ought to, in, in being like Christ, be patient in our suffering so that we can long all the more for the return of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about resurrection bodies. He's talking about restored bodies. As Christ's body was restored after he died and was raised from the dead three days later, that same sort of body, a glorified human body, is what we put our hope on. Not the body itself, but what the body represents. The salvation of our souls. The completion of our salvation. This is so key for us to latch on to because it is what we are waiting for. It's what we're looking forward to. Indeed, it is what all of heaven longs for. For all things to be set to rights. For Christ to return and for us to be made new again. The surpassing worth of knowing God in this life and longing for Christ's return, being united with Him in glory, is what drives us as Christians, in part, to see the deceptive lure of sin that has cost so much pain for what it is, and to recognize that the promises of God are life and peace forever. And these things apply to us this morning in several ways. As I wrap up my first point, my first thing I would encourage you, encourage you to do and to apply to yourself is to not personalize the difficulties of living in a fallen world. Do not personalize the difficulties of living in a fallen world. Instead, see the difficulties of this life as pushing us toward Christ as pushing us closer to God, as driving us away from ourselves and into the arms of a loving Savior who has all that we need, who gives us, give us, gives us an abundance with whom our cup overflows. That we could say, indeed, even as we struggle, that the Lord has always been good to us. That we can say, even as we weep, that we can trust God because what He has for us and has promised us is far better than anything this world can ever give us. Better than recognition and fame. Better than monetary success. Better than a job that makes you happy. But it is a future eternally sealed with Christ. Take heart then that it is good uh, to, to suffer. 
because it causes us to exercise patience with this world and fosters hope in our hearts. John Calvin, I'm always going to talk about Calvin because he's such a great expositor. He says, God does not call his people to victory before he exercises them in the warfare of patience. It is our challenge to suffer, but it is our privilege to run to God for all the strength we need to survive the storm. Cling to Christ, the suffering Savior, and lift your eyes to Calvary, where the help of God comes from. Cry out to the Spirit who lives in your heart for peace in the midst of trials and strength to weather difficulty. Be encouraged, as was prayed this morning by Elijah, that God sees you. God knows you. He loves you. And he has shown us that love and that while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. And I hope that's encouraging. It's encouraging me. Sarah and I were, were talking about this passage on a, on a walk the other day. And uh, she was helping me understand something that I can only pretend to grasp, which is the difficulty of childbirth. And I won't pretend I understand it. So don't worry, okay? Um, but Sarah was trying to help me understand this and, and understand why Paul uses this metaphor here as we move from my first point to my second point. Sarah was telling me that um, giving birth is uh, incredibly difficult, the hardest thing she's ever done, and that labor pains and contractions are not constant things, but they come in waves, like the, like the sand, or like the, the waves on the sea that come into the beach. They come, and they're horribly difficult, painful, and then they recede, and they return and recede. And like the waves on the shore and the tide, as uh, time moves forward, as the moon rises over the ocean, in the same way, uh, those contractions become more intense, and the waves go further and further until eventually glorious deliverance, a child is born. When you begin giving birth, and the reason Paul uses this image here, is that you do not know how long it will be before the child is born. You don't know if it will be fast, a quick labor, or a long, arduous labor that takes several days. At times, during that process, as some of you will very intimately understand, you do not even feel perhaps, that it, you can survive. <laughs> How will I ever persevere through this? How will I push through this? Will this child ever be born? <laughs> Where is he? <laughs> what keeps you going during those moments of difficulty? And I don't want to, over, I'm oversimplifying here, I am certain, but... What keeps you going in moments of difficulty, in moments of intense pain and difficulty, is hope. Hope that even though you cannot see this child immediately, you will see them soon. Hope that when we, pay, we face, to bring it back here to conversation of our relationship with Christ, what gives us, uh, helps us sustain ourselves in moments of difficulty, how do we stay patient? We have a hope 
that sustains, a hope that this child will be born, a hope that Christ will return, that we will receive the glorious resurrection of our bodies, the renewal of all things by the power of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope. Hope sustains us. And it's not a hope that we have in our own strength, but a hope that comes exclusively from the power of God. This passage is helping us understand that weathering the fallen world with all its challenges is only possible if we know where we're going and we can acknowledge where we have been. I'm recalling to you the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord's faithfulness to you, past and future. And I'm just going to read you some verses from Romans 5 that have been so helpful for me in thinking about this. Therefore, this is, this is where we've been as Christians. And then we'll move to where we're going as Christians. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us for at just the right time. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That is where we were. God has saved you from sin and the judgment of it. You were once cut off from God, Paul goes on to say, but now you have been saved and sealed by God. For redemption that you experience in part now and will experience fully the revealing of the sons of God, the children of God, the second coming of our glorious Messiah, Jesus. That is where you were and where you are now. You have been saved and sealed. You have been set apart. You have been made a child of God. You're Salvation, as Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, is completely secure. And so then where are you going in the midst of suffering in this life? Where are we going to encourage us even more? The Apostle Paul directs us toward the future promises of God in Romans 8. In particular, Paul's words to us are meant to be comforting and reassuring. They're not meant to push us down or to cause us to despair of this life but to see it for what it is, an encouragement to hope. He is elevating his argument here. And as he moves to the top of his argument, of the rhetorical power of his argument, the assurance of salvation amid suffering, his desire, again, is your encouragement. He says, at the return of Christ, the Christian will receive a glorious new body. 
as Jesus received after his resurrection. Verse 23 tells us that we groan inwardly as we long for the promised redemption of our bodies. We are hoping for what we do not see, Paul says. We are hoping for what we do not see. It is that hope, as Calvin says, that lightens the heaviness of the cross. It is when we read of the future deliverance of God and his mercy to give us new resurrection bodies that as we carry our cross, as Christ calls each of us to carry our cross and follow him, the burden of that cross becomes so much lighter because our joy, our future is secure. Our hope, though we do not see it, is only moments away. Is only moments away. Paul tells us and encourages us that if we are dissatisfied with this world, the Apostle Peter says the same in 1 Peter, if you are dissatisfied with this world, it means you are God's people. Paul says it's because you have received the first fruits of the Holy Spirit that you see this world for what it is, a veil of difficulty. And now you have the strength, as we read from Romans 5, to fight against the slavery that we once had to sin and have been set free by God to live lives of glorious obedience and joy. So how does this apply to us? Does that apply to us? And I hope that you can see this has all been application in the sense that all of Scripture is meant to drive us in one way or another to application. But I hope you see this here, the application for us this evening. The ways this impacts us here are numerous. There's so many of them. We have the assurance, as I have said, of our future. And this frees us to live now radically to honor God and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. Our future is secure, so it doesn't matter what our neighbors say about us or how frustrated they are that we shared the gospel with them, in a sense, or how we, uh, we long to see our family members who don't know Jesus to trust him. It should motivate us because we have nothing to fear. I said this before. I'll say it again. Um, the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to you is that someone could kill you for sharing the gospel. And that unites you with Christ so much more, uh, in so much more glory uh, than this world could ever offer us if we stay silent. How can we resist this? Resist this calling when we have received the beautiful promises of salvation, of freedom from sin, and a hope that endures in all difficulty of an internal home with God. Another way this applies to us is that it should motivate us to pray for one another in seasons of suffering and in seasons of joy. To rejoice at the birth of a child and to be there a friend in difficulty when someone has lost someone they love dearly. We should be aware of one another's needs and seek as the church to meet one another's needs. 
to deal with one another justly, honestly, not speaking behind one another's backs, but where there are issues striving for unity in this very short life that we have. The length of eternity is so great. It's beyond comprehension. This life is so short. Minister to one another's needs. Love one another earnestly. Do not speak behind someone's back for your own benefit. But for the glory of God and the growth of His kingdom, love one another now. Pray for one another now. Another way this applies to us is that it causes us to remember how faithful God has been to you, has been to us. He has saved you from sin and shame. He has set your feet upon the rock that is Christ. He has made you glad. He is your shield, your deliverer. As Psalm 3 says, He is the buckler that encompasses you on all sides. When He is with you, none can harm you. He is the lifter of your head. Hold on, then, beloved, to the demonstrated faithfulness of God in your life's past and the assurance of its future as we hold on in hope for Jesus' return. And lastly, I would encourage you to pray for Jesus to come back. To pray for Jesus to come back. Lord, come quickly. Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. How long, O Lord, until you come back, until you rend the skies and bring deliverance? Lord, that you would return to us and deliver your children. To unite us with Christ physically and spiritually in resurrection bodies. And as I close, I hope that you have been challenged in the difficulty of suffering and encouraged to persevere in what we've looked at this morning. And if you have heard these things and you are not a Christian, if you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus... If you see the broken world that we live in and you are weighed down by it, I would invite you to Christ this morning. I would invite you to Christ this morning, to deliverance from suffering in an eternal length rather than suffering in a very brief span of life. I would invite you this morning to say to God that you are a sinner, to confess your sins before him and to say, I desperately need your salvation from an eternity in hell without you. And I embrace the difficulty of this life now for your glory. Lord, adopt me into your family through the blood of Jesus so that I can face the suffering of hope in uh, suffering in this life in hope that I have been made for so much more. Christian, you have been made for so much more. If you are not a Christian, you have been made for so much more. I want to invite you to see that this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are thankful.